Mark chapter 6 and verse number 34. The Bible says, And Jesus, when he came out, saw much people and was moved with compassion toward them because they were sheep not having a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. When the day was now far spent, his disciples came unto him and said, This is a, de a desert place, and now the time is far past. Send them away that they may go into the country round about and into the villages and buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. He answered and said unto them, Give ye them to eat. And they say unto him, Shall we go and buy 200 penny worth of bread and give them to eat? He saith unto them, How many loaves have ye? Go and see. And when they knew, they say, Five and two fishes. And he commanded them to make all sit down by companies upon the green grass. And they sat down by ranks, or sat down in ranks by hundreds and by fifties. And when he had taken the five loaves and the two fishes, he looked up to heaven and blessed and break the loaves and gave them to his disciples to sit before them. And the two fishes divided him among them all. And they did all eat and were filled. And they took up 12 baskets full of the fragments and of the fishes. And they that did eat of the loaves were about 5,000 men. And straightway, he constrained his disciples to get into the ship and to go to the other side before unto Bethsaida while he sent away the people. And when he had sent them away, he departed into a mountain to pray. And when even was come, the ship was in the midst of the sea and he alone on the land. And he saw them toiling in rowing for the wind was contrary unto them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he cometh unto them walking upon the sea and would have passed by them. When they saw him walking upon the sea, they supposed it had been a spirit and cried out, for they all saw him and were troubled. And immediately he talked with them and saith unto them, be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And he went up unto them into the ship and the wind ceased and they were sore amazed in themselves beyond measure and wondered. Verse 52 is our text. The Bible says, for they considered not the miracle of the loaves, for their heart was hardened. You may be seated tonight. I want to talk to you a little bit about that subject a little bit more tonight, healing for the hard heart. And so again, we're going we're gonna to pray, and I'm just going to mention, sort of mention this morning, and then we're going to get right into some brand new material tonight, Lord willing. And so let's pray and ask God to help us tonight. Father, thank you so much for the privilege to be back at Calvary Baptist Church. God, I'm glad I do know how it feels to come to that place in my life where uh, I have that peace that passeth all understanding. Lord, I'm so thankful that I can point people back to that day when I trusted Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. And Lord, if there may be one here tonight that doesn't know for sure that they're on their way to heaven, would you help them to know we're rooting for them. And would you help them to know that you love them beyond measure? Lord, would you help them to understand that you loved them so much that you gave your son that they might have life and have it more abundant and have a home in heaven? I pray that you'll knit our hearts together, Heavenly Father, as we learn some truths from your book tonight. We're gonna do this quickly if we can, but I pray that you would have your way and I pray that I would not have my way. And so, Holy Spirit, we pray that you'll control 
and guide the service and help us to be sensitive to you. Lord, we, we plead the blood of Christ now over the service. And we are mindful that the powers of darkness would love to try to defeat the service any way they could. But God, I pray that you would take control. And I pray that we would be able to listen and concentrate and pay attention. And, and I pray, Heavenly Father, that something would lodge in our hearts and our minds and that we would go away from this place different, Lord, better than when we entered earlier this evening. So, Father, help us, please. We love you and praise you, and we ask you for your help. In Jesus' name we pray, and for his sake, and all God's people said, amen. We said this morning that the feeding of the 5,000 is really one of the only miracles that's recorded in all four Gospels, other than things like the miracle of the resurrection and things like that. Matthew chapter 14 records this miracle. Mark chapter 6, where we read tonight. Luke chapter 9 and John chapter 6. And what a remarkable miracle it is where Christ takes five small loaves and two small fishes that were, would probably be similar to uh, a sardine in our day and time. And he feeds, we know 5,000 men. They counted the men. We're not exactly sure how many women and children, but he fed a lot of people with five loaves and two fishes. What's really, really sad about this great story is that our Bible is very clear to tell us that the disciples completely missed it. They completely missed it. They were, and I'm sure that they, we were having this conversation over dinner, over lunch today, and, and I am quite sure that the disciples were very involved in ministry, and uh, if you're feeding, feeding 15,000 people, you're busy. You're very busy. But they completely missed the power of this great miracle. For the Bible tells us in Mark chapter six and verse number 52, for they considered not the miracle of the loaves for their heart was hardened. Their heart was hardened. Now, I wanna talk to you a little bit more about that tonight. If I could, some lessons that we learned from Mark chapter six and we'll put a few things up on the screen tonight. First of all, we noticed uh, the lesson of flexibility, flexibility. We said this morning that be willing to allow God to change your plans without you becoming upset and bitter. And again, we're, 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 we're moving quickly here tonight, but the disciples were in vacation mode. Jesus said, let's come apart for a little while and we'll take some rest. And of course, we know that didn't happen. We noticed that by the time they got to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, that the crowd had outwent them, the Bible says, and they went from being very, very heavily involved in ministry to being very heavily involved in ministry and maybe even more so, maybe even busier than they were before. And we said that God changed the plan and the disciples got upset about that change. We reminded the church this morning of Isaiah 55, verse number eight, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. And so we learn the lesson of flexibility. But I wanna go a little further than that. I wanna just hit this one and we'll go to the last one because the last one is really the main point tonight. Uh, but number two, we notice the importance, we do notice the importance of occasional leisure. Now, I believe this is important for us to point out 
And I believe God led me to point this out to you tonight, so I want to do that. So look at Mark chapter 6, verse number 29. The Bible says, and when his disciples heard of it, they came and took up his corpse. Talking about John the Baptist. John the Baptist has just lost his head, and, uh, and the disciples have went down. They've taken the headless corpse uh, up, and they've buried his corpse and laid it in the tomb. Verse 30 says, and the apostles gathered themselves together into Jesus and told him all things, all uh, things, both what they had done. I'm sure they told him about burying John the Baptist. I'm sure they told him about the demons they had <coughs> cast out and about all the things that they've been involved in and what they had taught. Verse 31, and he said unto them, come ye yourselves apart into a desert place and rest a while. For there were many coming and going and they had no leisure so much as eat. Now, it didn't happen in this story, but it, it, there are other places in the word of God where it does seem that Christ took his disciples apart for a little while. Someone said, sometimes you have to come apart or you'll come apart. There's a lot of truth to that statement. And I just want to throw this out there to us tonight. Learn, and especially all of you adults tonight and you moms and dads, learn to discern when your family needs some downtime. We've got some, and, and thank the Lord, by the way, we've got some Christians at Calvary Baptist Church that are very intense and very serious about your Christian life. And by the way, I love that. That's the way it ought to be. But I... But, but how many know this? We're supposed to have a balance too. Did you know that? And, uh, and so I want to just encourage us, learn to discern when your family needs some downtime. I remember uh, many years ago, it's been, uh, boy, it's been probably 33, 34 years ago now. My wife and I were in Bible college. Some of you know about that. Others of you have been to college and universities and things like that. And I don't know how it was for all of you, but at least for us, I worked my way through college, and so, man, it was extremely busy. I worked a full-time job. I took a, a, a full schedule of classes, and then we were, uh, we were averaging 30 hours on the weekend for ministry, and, and uh, I averaged preaching five times a week on, uh, on, just on Sunday, and so it was a busy, busy time, and my, my little redhead over here, bless her heart, she was so understanding and just such an encouragement and never a discouragement. By the way, she never has been. She's always been a compliment to my ministry and I'm so thankful for my godly wife that God has given me. But I can remember that, that Saturday and I don't remember all the details, but usually on Saturday morning after a solid work of week, uh, we'd get up uh, and we had prayer meeting at six and then we had, um, we had division meeting at, at seven or 7.30 and, and then after that we would leave and go to the bus route and we would visit until the afternoon and I don't know what happened on this Saturday morning, but I remember this. We were discouraged. I don't think we'd fussed. I don't think we were fussing at each other. We may have been fussing, but I don't think we were necessarily fussing at each other. But I remember, and we usually from the college to the bus route, it was about an hour drive. And, and I can remember it, it being sort of a very quiet ride. We were both very upset, very, I'm telling you, I can't even explain to you how discouraged we were. We were done. I mean, if you had a fork, you could have stuck it in as we were done. I mean, I hate to tell you all this, I didn't care about preaching. In fact, as far as I was concerned, I was done with preaching. We were done with ministry. 
We were going to the bus route to visit, but we didn't care one thing about the bus route. We didn't want to visit. We didn't want to pray. We didn't want to go soul winning that day. And, and I can remember, boy, it was, it was tight in the car. It was tight. I can remember us driving, and we got off the interstate, and we pulled into a little, not, not, not little, but we pulled into a little town called Bellwood, Illinois, just right off of O'Hare Airport, and, and I remember that morning, we didn't go to the bus route. We were at the bus route, but we didn't visit. We pulled into a Wendy's. It's not there anymore, but we pulled into a Wendy's restaurant, and I'll never forget this. We just cocked our seats back, and we went into a coma. We just, we did, seriously. We just cocked our seats back, and I can remember, brother, it was like hibernation or something. And we were out, I mean, for hours. I mean, it's like we were, you know, we woke up, we're like, man, what happened? Where are we at? And, and I can remember we just slept. I, we were so tired. We were so fatigued. And, and somebody, said, somebody said that fatigue makes cowards of us all. And I can remember we were so discouraged and we were so depressed and we were just ready to throw in the towel. And so we pulled into this little Wendy's and, and we laid our seats back and man, we just went out. I mean, we just went to sleep. And then I can remember us, and this has been a long time ago, but I can still remember this because this is etched in my memory. I can remember us waking up and we went into the Wendy's and we bought the most expensive thing on the menu that day. In fact, I can still remember what I bought. I bought, a, I bought a chicken club that day at Wendy's. I'd never had one. And I just walked in, I thought, and I told the guy, I said, I want that right there. I want a chicken club. And, and it had lettuce and tomato and mayonnaise and Swiss cheese and special sauce on it. And, 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 and you know what we did? We slept a long time and then we ate a good meal. And did you know the day went a lot better after that? In fact, we went on to the bus route. And we began to visit, and, uh, and we went on in the ministry, and I kept on preaching, and we kept on serving. Now, I just said all that to say this. Church, learn to discern when you or your family needs a little bit of a, a, little bit of a downtime. If you feel the need, disconnect from the routine, but never from the Redeemer. This is a simple preaching tonight. But I want, I want to say that statement again. If you feel the need, disconnect from the routine, but never from the Redeemer. People say, preacher, we're just, we're just tired. We're going we're gonna to get out of church for a while. That's not the answer. That's not the answer at all. I understand if you need to disconnect from the routine a little bit and, and maybe you need a vacation and maybe you need to go to the Blue Ridge Parkway and take a long drive or maybe you need to go to Boone and settle down for a little bit or maybe you just need to go somewhere and take a long, long nap and, and then go to Wendy's and get you a chicken club or, or something like that. And I'm all for that. By the way, sometimes many vacations can really give you a breath of fresh air. And so uh, at times you need to disconnect from the routine, but never from the Redeemer. And I, I said that to say this, even on vacation, be sure you stay in your Bible. And even on vacation, make, make, time, make, make sure that you spend time in prayer. I understand vacating from the routine and the schedule and all of that, but my dear friend, we never take a vacation from God. Never. In fact, when you're on vacation, I want to encourage you, tune into the services. 
And boy, thank God for the live stream and, and tune into the services. And so we learn here the, the lesson of flexibility and we see the importance of occasional leisure. But let's end tonight with this one. Number three, we see the liability of bitterness. And by the way, Calvary, bitterness is always a liability. It's never an asset. Because we notice what bitterness causes. Bitterness causes hardness of heart. Mark chapter six, you're still in your Bibles there. Look at verse number 52. The Bible says, for they consider not the miracle of the lows, for their heart was hardened. Now we just touched this this morning, but I didn't really preach on it this morning. Their, the, the disciples' heart had become hardened. And the reason their heart was hard was because of bitterness. And the reason they were bitter was because they missed their time of relaxation. In other words, the Lord had said, fellas, let's come apart for a little while. They get in the boat. They go across the Sea of Galilee. But when they get across the Sea of Galilee, the crowd is waiting on them. And here they go right back into ministry again. And these guys, I don't know how else to tell you, but these guys are bent out of shape. They were not in ministry mode. They were in vacation mode. Now look what it says. Mark chapter 6. In verse number 35, we notice the crowd has, has beat them to, the, to, the, uh, uh, to, their, to their getting off place. In verse number 35, the Bible says, And when the day was now far spent, his disciples came unto him and said, This is a desert place, and now the time is far past. Look at verse 36. They said to the Lord, Send them away. Lord, get rid of these people. We have seen them enough. And by the way, something we were talking about over lunch today is that you understand that a lot of the people that Jesus was ministering to were afflicted people. Lepers, cripples, people that had issues, people that had afflictions. A lot of these folks, because of the culture back in that day, were determined uh, to be outcasts of society. And these were the folks that they were ministering to. And they said to the Lord, Lord, send them away that they may go into the country roundabout and into the villages and buy themselves bread for they have nothing to eat. But the Bible says their heart was hardened. The word hardened there means to petrify. It means to harden by covering with a callous. Bitterness is so destructive because bitterness finally makes its way to the heart. And when it makes its way to the heart, it makes the heart hard. Now, I want you to take your Bibles tonight with me, if you will, turn to the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter number four, and look at verse number 18. Well, what a verse. Jeremiah four and verse number 18. And the prophet Jeremiah said it like this in verse 18. He said, thy way and thy doings have procured these things unto thee. Verse 18. He said, this is thy wickedness because it is bitter, because it reacheth unto thine heart. Now, Calvary, as I said this morning, we can't allow ourselves to get bitter. We can't allow ourselves to get bitter at God. We can't allow ourselves to get bitter at anybody. You say, well, Pastor, I'm not, I'm, I'm not mad at God. I'm just mad at brother so-and-so. Well, you can't afford to do that either. 
You can't afford, as a child of God, as a spirit-filled child of God, you can't allow yourself to get bitter at a preacher or a deacon or a choir member or a Sunday school teacher or a family member. You cannot, as a spirit-filled child of God, allow yourself to do that. And I'll tell you why. Because once you allow bitterness to come in, bitterness makes its way to the heart. And when bitterness hits the heart, it makes the heart hard. Now you say, preacher, is that important? It is important. And I want to tell you why tonight. Now, these are some of these things are old prescriptions that I've given out, but mixed with some new things. Some things the heart does. Number one, your heart determines quality of life. Now, take your Bibles tonight, if you will, please, and turn to Proverbs chapter four. Proverbs chapter number four. And I know we're moving quickly tonight, so just hang on with me. Stay, stay with me tonight. Proverbs chapter number four And verse number 23, why is this thing so important, Pastor? Because your heart determines your quality of life. Proverbs chapter four and verse number 23. Notice what our Bible says. Verse number 23, will you read the first three words of verse number 23 with me? Ready? Keep thy heart. Now, let me explain to you what that means. The word keep is the idea of a blockade. It's the idea of a soldier that walks guard, constant 24-hour guard. The Bible says that you and I are to put a blockade around our heart. We're to guard our heart. We can't just allow anything to come into our life, to come into our heart. Look what it says. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it, out of the heart, for out of it are the issues of life. The heart, that word issues there means this. It means exit and end. In other words, your heart determines how your life is gonna end up. That is so, so true. I've met so many people after 30 some years of ministry who are so bitter and indifferent. They've fallen out with God. They've fallen out with family members. They've fallen out with church members. They've fallen out with preachers. And you know what, my dear friend? They are not happy people to be around because they allowed that bitterness to come into their heart and that bitterness determined the quality of their their life. If you allow your heart to become infected with bitterness, it'll defile your entire life. Now, again, we're going fast, but turn over to Mark chapter seven. Well, you weren't Mark six, but turn over to Mark chapter seven very quickly tonight and look, if you will, at verse number 18. And I'll try not to have you turn to a whole, whole lot of places tonight, but these scriptures are so vital tonight. Mark chapter number seven in your Bibles, and look with me, if you will, at verse number 18. Mark chapter seven and verse number 18, and listen to what the Spirit of God tells us here. Mark seven, verse 18, and he saith unto them, are you so without understanding also? Do you not perceive that whatsoever thing from without entereth into the man, it cannot defile it? Because it entereth not into his what? Into his heart, but into the belly and goeth out into the draw, purging all meats. In other words, what you eat necessarily is not what defiles you. Verse 20, and he said, that which cometh out of the man, that defileth the man. For from within, out of the what? Out of the heart of men proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications. Look at this next word, murders, thefts, Covetous, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. We all talk about Pride Month. 
You really want to talk about Pride Month? Let me tell you what Pride Month is all about. It's about a defilement of the heart. Pride, foolishness, all these things come from within and defile the man. Now, again, I'm saying this, that your, your heart determines quality of life. And we see that. We've been in Mark chapter 6 all day long today, and we see that painted out in Mark chapter 6 in vivid detail. Now, I'm not talking about the story that we read today, but I want to talk to you about a story we didn't read today that's also in Mark chapter 6. Did you know the Bible says about Mark chapter 6 that John the Baptist has rebuked King Herod because of his affair with Herodias. His brother Philip at one time was married to her and, and so Herod takes Philip's wife and makes her his wife. And John the Baptist in his boldness comes to the king and says, that's adultery. And you're not supposed to do that. And our Bible tells us that Herodias becomes so bitter against John, she wants to kill him. Don't forget what Mark 7 just told us. Murders, deceit. She is so mad at John the Baptist that she wants to kill him. And we know the story later on. The Bible says Herodias' daughter, she dances for the king. Y'all remember that story? The king calls a big party and he calls his chief of states in and his, all of his head honchos and they all come in for this big gigantic, uh, you know, siesta and uh, man, he's putting on the dog for several days and, and the Bible says that Herodias, by the way, she's just a little damsel, the Bible calls her a damsel. And Herodias comes in and she dances in front of these wicked, wicked men and the Bible tells us that Herod is so moved by her dancing that he says to the daughter of Herodias, he says, young lady, he said, I'm going to give you anything you want to the half of my kingdom. Man, what a story. We read Mark chapter 6, and the Bible says Herodias' daughter comes back to her mom, and she says, Mom, I danced for the king. And boy, he was wowed. In fact, so much so that this is what he said, I'll give you anything you want to the half of my kingdom. Do you know what the king was saying right there? Open checkbook. That's what he was saying. And I, you know, I read that story and I'm thinking, whoa, 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 time out, whoa. Don't be hasty. Herodias, don't be hasty. I mean, just think about what you can get from King Herod. I thought about several things. Hey, you could ask for a palatial estate on the hillside of Tiberias overlooking the Sea of Galilee. Tiberius is a beautiful city that's built up on the side of a mountain and overlooks the Sea of Galilee. It's beautiful. I'm telling you, you talk about beautiful sunsets. And, and she could have said, hey, king, I want a beautiful mansion perched up on the hillside overlooking the Sea of Galilee. Or if that won't work, I'll tell you what you could ask for. You could ask for a summer home situated on the Mediterranean Sea just west of Cain of Galilee. Or if that's not it. How about a two-story cottage nestled in the middle of an aromatic grape vineyard? Or maybe you could ask for Arabian stallions and ownership of the king's equestrian stables. Now think about it. He says, young lady, you tell me what you want, and I promise I'll give it to you to the half of my kingdom. She goes home to her mom. She says, mom, what do you think? And she says, this is what I want. I want that preacher's head on a plate. By the way, it's interesting too. 
I studied that out. I don't know if you ever studied this out, brother. I studied that, that out this week, and I thought, why a plate? You ever thought about that? Why a plate? That charger, that's what, really what that's talking about. I'm not so sure that Herodias wasn't so demon-possessed that she maybe ate the head. You say, Pastor, that's craziness. Not really. You say, I went back and started studying that out. There's something called exo-cannibalism, where the enemy is so vehement against their enemy that when they kill their enemy, they eat their enemy. And Herodias said, I want his head on a charger. Now, preacher, what's your, your point? My point is this. This lady could have had anything in the world. And you know what she got? She got a bloody head on a platter. You know why? Her heart was so hard. Bitterness had come in. Now, and you say, preacher, I would never do anything like that. I understand all that. But I am saying this. Bitterness will change your family. Bitterness will change, yes, sir. Bitterness will change your home. Bitterness will hurt your church. Bitterness will hurt your life. Bitterness will wreak havoc in your job. And so we understand the heart determines quality of life. But there's something else. Number two, your heart determines quality of language. Now take your Bibles, turn over to Luke chapter six. I'm watching the clock. We've been at it now for about 24 minutes. Luke chapter number six and look at verse number 45. Your heart determines quality of language. Your heart determines quality of, uh, of life. Luke chapter six, verse number 45. The Bible says, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is good and an evil man, now watch this, Calvary, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is evil, for of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaketh. Have you ever met somebody who just had a hard time finding something good to say? Have you met someone who just constantly wants to use profane language? They're constantly cursing. They're constantly, constantly using God's name in vain. They're constantly criticizing others. They're constantly criticizing religion. They're constantly criticizing uh, religious people. They're constantly criticizing the church. They're constantly criticizing their employer. Now, you say, Pastor, what is that? Let me tell you what it is. It is a direct result of a heart problem because our Bible says whatever is in here is gonna come out of here. And so you say, preacher, I just don't have, I just don't have a praise. Well, then maybe you don't have any praise in here. Because if you've got praise in here, guess what's going to happen? It's going to come out of here. But if you've got criticism in here and bitterness in here and indifference in here and hard feelings in here, yes, yes, brother. Oh, we may not be swinging from the chandeliers or walking across the pews tonight, but I think we're probably hitting a home run tonight. Uh, listen, whatever's in here is gonna come out of here. And so the heart determines quality of life. The heart determines quality of language and the heart determines qualification for salvation. Romans 10, 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart, that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. How many know this, that salvation is a matter of the heart? Salvation is not just signing a card. Salvation is not even just saying some kind of little prayer. Salvation is a matter of the heart. 
Salvation is that when you come to that point in your life when God has revealed to you that you're a sinner in need of a Savior and you can't save yourself and you call out to Jesus and say, Jesus, I need you to save me. Hey, salvation is a matter of the heart. Deuteronomy 6, 5, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. Acts chapter 8, verse number 37, and Philip said, if thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. Listen, it is no wonder that so many people are having problems getting saved because our hearts are so indifferent nowadays. Salvation is an act of the heart. We're done. Listen to this. Someone said, bitterness is like taking poison and then waiting for the other person to die. I don't think I've ever ever read that statement, but that is so true. It's like you taking poison and then waiting for the person you're bitter toward to kill over and pass away. Truth of the matter is, they're gonna go right on. You're the one that's gonna die. Bitterness. Can I read this story? It says this. I once knew a woman whose heart had been broken by disappointing relationships. She became very sarcastic towards the opposite sex and could often be overheard making disparaging remarks about them. It always surprised me that, although she never had a nice word to say about men, she seemed always to be searching for one. Each time she began a new relationship, it seemed to be all candy and flowers. Before long, however, the spiteful remarks would start, and the next I would hear her current bow could do nothing to please her. She seemed to always be angry at them for some imagined wrong no one else could see and for which she would find various ways to punish them. She seemed to feel strong when she was angry, as though her anger somehow made her powerful. The men at first seemed hurt and baffled and finally so frustrated they just gave up trying to please her. At this point, the arguments would escalate until finally a breakup would occur and she was alone again. Back to the venomous remarks with new fuel for the fire of her anger. After a number of relationships over a span of years, the woman became very bitter. Today, she is alone. Well, that's sobering, isn't it? Hey, look at this right here. Did you know that anger is only one letter short of danger? There's danger in clinging to your pain and anger. When you feed anger, it becomes resentment, and resentment over time becomes bitterness. If you've ever been in the presence of a bitter person, you know it's like listening to a recording stuck on replay. Any joy an angry person could glean from today is obliterated by the ugly smear of bitterness they feel about yesterday. And we're done. You can close your Bibles. We're going to pray. But I want you to look at the screen one last time. Someone said life can make you bitter or it can make you better. And they said this, you choose. The only difference is the I. 
You know what that means? That means that I choose. That means you don't choose for me. And so if you do something against me and I get bitter, you know what happened? It's not your fault. It's my fault. Because I'm the one that chooses. I can choose to let obstacles and storms and valleys and, and problems, I can choose to let those things make me better or I can choose to let those things make me bitter. Now, this is what I'm saying tonight, Calvary Baptist Church. Let's make sure that we let the storms and the problems make us better Christians and not bitter Christians. But it's your choice. Nobody can decide for you. It's your choice tonight. Would you do me a favor and let's bow our heads tonight. Father, thank you for this time we've had together today. It's been very simple, but I pray it's made sense. And I understand that nobody's gonna take on the sermon completely today. But maybe just one thing said, maybe just one statement or one illustration. Father, I'm sure in a crowd this size, there are some people here tonight that have, have, have ample opportunity to be bitter. Lord, bitter at people, bitter at problems, bitter at different things that have come in their lives. Maybe life, it seems, hasn't been fair to them. Lord, I pray tonight that you would help us to understand that it's our choice. I make the choice. And Father, I just want to pray this tonight personally. Lord, would you help me? When the situations come into my life, Father, would you give me the grace to bear it and not to get bent out of shape? Lord, I don't know what tomorrow holds, but I know who holds tomorrow. And God, I pray that you'd give us a church full of people who would resist bitterness at all costs because bitterness makes the, heart, makes the heart hard. Lord, I don't know exactly why you had me preach this message today. It seems like we sort of preached along this lines not too long ago. But I believe this is the direction you want us to, to go. So I pray, Lord, that you'll bring the increase and I pray that you'll use it to make a difference for Jesus. And our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed tonight. Would y'all mind if I asked a question or two and then we're gonna have an invitation. First of all, this question. How many here tonight would say, Brother Pope, if I died tonight, I have full assurance there's not a doubt, not an ounce of doubt I know that I know that I know that I know that I am going to heaven when I die. If you can honestly say that, we just slip your hand up and you can take it right back down. Hallelujah. Wonderful. Nothing more exciting. But can I ask this as well? Is there one here tonight? And in this crowd, I would not be surprised. You're here tonight. You say, Pastor, if I died tonight, I'm not 100% sure I would go. Brother Steve, I want you to understand something. I want to go, but I'm just not sure. 
and I really want you to pray for me. I'm not going to come back and try to get you down the aisle. I just want to pray for you. And I wonder if there may be one here tonight with every head bowed, every eye closed, and right now, you say, Pastor, I care enough to at least slip up my hand right now and let you pray for me. Pray for me, Pastor. I'm not sure about heaven. Would you pray for me right now? You'd slip your hand up and, and just wave it at me. Amen. Amen. Is there another tonight? You just raise your hand right now. Just raise it real high so I don't miss you. Come on, be honest. God's dealing with your heart right now. Just raise it up. Preacher, pray for me. Pray for me tonight. I'm going to pray for all these that have raised their hands. Maybe there's folks, in fact, there's probably no doubt that there's folks in here tonight. Man, you've been through some stuff. You never thought life would end up the way it's ended up. Some pitfalls came. Some sad times came. And the devil loves to to make our hearts hard. But tonight you'd say, Pastor, by the grace of God, I'm yielding my heart to the Lord. And I want God to heal my heart. About anybody looking tonight. Right now, you'd slip up your hand and be honest about that. Preacher, I'm praying, I'm praying that God would heal my heart. Yes, yes, yes. Amen. 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 Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Hey, would you would you do this tonight? If you're serious about a decision, the altars are going to be open tonight. I'm going to ask our personal workers to make their way to the front tonight. Father. I thank you for your blessings and thank you for the privilege to be here tonight. Lord, it's easy, really, if we're not careful in this day in which we're living. It's so easy, Lord, to become indifferent. God, it's not a question of are the issues or the problems going to come. The question is when are they going to come? God, it's so easy if we're not careful to get bent out of shape, lose our joy, Our peace goes out the door. Our hearts get hard. It hurts our relationships. It hurts our relationship with God. And God, tonight I pray that you'd help folks to come tonight and I pray their hearts would be healed. Father, I pray for these that have raised their hands and said they needed to be saved. I pray tonight they'll come and let us take God's word and show them how they can know that they know that they know that they're going to heaven when they die. Have your way in this invitation, please. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Let's all 